What a joy it is to come on Christmas Day to celebrate Christ. Um, I truly can't think of a better way to do it than to be here with, with you guys. Um, in Christ, we are brothers and sisters, and this, this is our family in the Lord. And uh, we get to celebrate Jesus today. So praise God. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Um, so think about the Christmas season, the words of love and generosity and things like that keep coming up. Um, and I think of a movie in particular that kind of has these kind of themes in it, and that's It's a Wonderful Life. You may know the story of George Bailey, the wealthy man who's a very generous man. Um, but he, through some bad fortunes, he, uh, he lost his wealth, literally. Uh, someone uh, was irresponsible with the money, and in this movie, he loses his wealth. And with it, he kind of loses his life, he thinks. He loses his, he's going to lose his home, his job, uh, and he wishes he wasn't born. And then Clarence comes along, the angel without his wings yet, and gives him his wish. You want to see what life was like if you never lived? Well, this is how it would have been. And that's kind of how the story goes about. This one-time generous man had gone to the pit of despair. And there he is, trying to looking at life as if he never lived. But if you remember at the end of the movie, he breaks down on this bridge, just cries out to God and says, God, give me my life back. I want it back. Realizing that his life really wasn't as awful as he thought it had been. He lost a lot, but he had so much more. And you remember his friend comes in the cop car and he says, you know, George, we're looking for you all over the place. Your mouth's bleeding. He's, my, my mouth's bleeding. He's thrilled and he's got Zuzu's pedals in his pockets. Um, and then he goes back home and the whole community rallies around him and reestablishes his wealth and is able to save their home. This generosity of people, this love that they shared to this man. And he recognized he truly had a wonderful, a wonderful life. So get thinking about that story of love and generosity and the title of that movie. I recognize the greatest love there is to offer is the love that God has given us. And the greatest life, the most wonderful life there is, is the wonderful life that's found in Jesus Christ. And for that reason, I'm thrilled to be here to celebrate with each of us Jesus Christ who gives us that wonderful life. Today we're going to continue on and close up our series beyond the big screen, looking at Christmas and the true meaning of it. And today we're going to look at a non-traditional Christmas text, but a text that's appropriate for our time nonetheless, and that's John three sixteen through 21. Would you turn your Bibles to John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21? And this this passage is not about Jesus' birth, but what it does say with great clarity is why Jesus came. And that's what I want to begin our uh, message today. Is why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did he come? And the answer is in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. I'm going to read it again just to get the text back in front of us. So would you follow along with me as I read John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does, um, whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Let us pray together before we get into this passage and explore why Jesus came to this earth. Lord God, we settle our hearts right now. I'm just blown away, Lord, just by what we celebrate today. To call, it the glo- to call you, Jesus, the glorious impossible. It, it, it's, it's appropriate wording, yet it still doesn't register in our minds what really took place. And God, I pray that you just help us deepen just a, a little bit more even, Lord. Our understanding of, of what Jesus' coming was all about. Lord God, do a work in our hearts this morning. Stir our hearts to worship you. Stir our hearts to trust in you, to believe in you, oh God. I thank you so much, God, for your word and for Jesus. To him we pray. Amen. Well, John chapter 3, it's in the beginning, it begins with a man named Nicodemus coming to Jesus having different questions. And Jesus uses the opportunity to tell this man about how to be born again. And Nicodemus really doesn't have a category for that. He's like, it's not really possible. I'm kind of big. I'm, you know, how can I come through my mom again? Like, this is really weird language. And Jesus, of course, meant a spiritual rebirth. And then he comes to verse 16 and kind of summarizes everything that he'd been telling Nicodemus. And here in verse 16, we see why Jesus came to this world. Jesus is coming. He came to put God's love on display. Jesus came to put God's love on display. Look at the first few words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. He loved the world. He he, he loved the world even though the world was in rebellion. Now, the world is not referring to planet Earth, but to the peoples of Earth, to you and I. God loves us that he sent his Son. And when Jesus came, he had that same kind of love for people who were lost. It was a compassionate love, knowing that people were stuck in their sin, had no solution for their problem. And God looked upon us and had compassion. Jesus in Matthew 9, verse 36, he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Another time in Luke 19, Jesus looks at the city of Jerusalem and he begins, he begins to weep over the city because they could not receive him. He wept over them. He had compassion. And God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus He gave His only Son. Now when God gave Jesus, He gave Him to be born. He gave Him to be born. He gave Him to to take on flesh like you and I. Jesus is Almighty God, eternal, and God gave His Son saying, no, be born. 
So he gave them in that way, but he also gave Jesus in the sense of what Jesus came to do, and that was to die. To die. Jesus came to be born, but he came to die. So when it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He gave Jesus to die for this world that he loves, for these people upon whom he has compassion. When Jesus came, he came humbly. I think of Philippians chapter 2 that says, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very image of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. When I think about God's love and his greatest display of love, do, do we see God's greatest picture of love at the birth of Jesus? That, that God would love us so much that he'd enter time and space and these limitations of flesh and bones? Is that God's greatest display of love? Or was his greatest display of love when Jesus hung on that cross, took the wrath of God, satisfied it, and offered forgiveness? And I think, what, what is God's greatest picture of love here? And rather than trying to weigh out things of eternal significance and infinite ramifications, we, we, can't, we can't differentiate Jesus' coming and for what he came to do. See, when Jesus came, when God gave his son, he gave Jesus to do what he came to do. And yes, it was his birth, and yes, it was his death. This is God's love for his people. So when we see Jesus' birth, his incarnation, we, we marvel at it. We say, God, God you, were, you were in a manger. You were a baby. We, we, we see the mystery that's there. God, how did you do this? And then we think at the same time, there's a cross. And we look at that cross and say, God, how, how did you do that? How did you take my sin? How did you limit yourself in that way, putting aside your divine attributes, not losing them, but just holding off and, and letting yourself be, to die for me? This is God's love on display. Christmas starts it all. Good Friday bought it all. Then Easter conquered it all. And that's what Jesus came to do. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now let's not be mistaken here. Jesus didn't just come into existence at his birth. You and I, at the moment of our conception, we came into existence. Jesus is unlike us in this way. He is eternal past. He didn't go by the name Jesus until his birth. But it didn't mean he didn't exist prior to it. Just turning over your Bible one page to John chapter 1, where we see that in the beginning was the word that Jesus was in the beginning, that he was with God because he was God. And that all things that came into being came through him. There is nothing that has, that has come into existence that did not come through the hand of Jesus. So when Jesus came through Mary, he didn't come into existence. He simply became incarnate. So God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his son to come as a man. John MacArthur says this of Christmas. He says, if we could condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words, these would be the words. God with us. 
We tend to focus our attention at, at Christmas on the infancy of Christ. But the greater truth of the holiday is his deity. More astonishing than a baby in the manger is the truth that this promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. This is what we celebrate. God sent his son into the world. He loved the world that much that he would send his son to us. Now the word love around this time of the year for some of us brings more hurt than hope. Some of us think about this and we think about our family gatherings and they bring more sorrow than satisfaction. More pain than pleasure. We look at our family portraits and they're not what we wanted them to be. Perhaps you've given your love but it has not been reciprocated. And Christmas time just reminds you of these hurts. And here we see in John chapter 3 that God tells you, I love you. Jesus came to put God's love on display to tell you, you are loved. You may have been hurt by people, people whom you loved. But please know this, you are loved. God sent his son. He gave his son because he loves. And God wants a relationship with you. That's the depth of his love. This infinite, great God of eternity would say, no, no, I love you. I love you. I want a relationship with you. And in order to get that relationship, I'm going to send my son into the world when you could do nothing about your circumstance. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus is coming, put God's love on display. But with that coming comes a response on our part. See, God offers his love, but will we receive his love? See, Jesus didn't come to give us a holiday. Thanksgiving could do that. Jesus came to give you life and to call us all to a decision. See, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus for that purpose of condemning, but he did send Jesus. And so what we see is Jesus came from God. He himself tells the Pharisees this in John 8. He said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he, the Father, sent me. So if Jesus came from God, if the Father sent Jesus, he sent him with a purpose. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And the way of salvation that God has provided is through believing in his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The word believe shows up 98 times in John's gospel, 21 chapters. It shows up five times in this chapter alone. And we need to understand what believing truly means. Because to believe doesn't simply mean that someone exists. I believe that Abraham Lincoln existed. But I don't really believe in him like I believe in Jesus. Even in Jesus' own day, he tells the skeptics, the the Pharisees in John chapter 6, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. 
See, believing in Jesus had nothing to do with believing that he existed because they saw him, they were talking to him, but they didn't believe in him. And there are at least three things when John talks about believe that come to mind here. When he talks about believing, believing entails acknowledging what Jesus taught and claimed to be as true. That's the first thing when John talks about believing. To believe in Jesus is to acknowledge the things he taught and that what he claimed to be to be true. Secondly, believing entails embracing the truth that Jesus came to die for your sins. Not that he came to die for sins, but for your sins. A third component of believing that we see in the book of John is that believing entails obedience to Jesus. See, believing isn't simply saying, oh yeah, Jesus existed. It's saying, no, no, no. I believe what he taught, who he claimed to be, that he died for me, and I am walking in obedience out of my believing in him. I want to look at a few passages to back these points up. To say that, Jesus, that believing entails acknowledging that what Jesus taught and claimed to be is true, John chapter 6, verse 69. Jesus, when many of his disciples were beginning to leave him because his teaching was too difficult, he just said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They said, I'm not going to do that, we're leaving you. But they didn't understand what he was referring to about feasting upon him in the spiritual sense to believe and trust in him. As people were leaving him, Jesus turns to the 12 disciples He says, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to leave me too? And then Peter speaks up. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's his teachings. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what Jesus claimed to be. See, Jesus says, we believe in you, Jesus. And because we believe in you, we recognize that you have the words of eternal light, what you taught, and you are the Holy One of God, who you claim to be. Peter's belief in Jesus entailed understanding and acknowledging what he taught to be true and who he claimed to be as true. So when God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, to believe in Jesus is to acknowledge what he taught to be as true and who he claimed to be as true. But it also means to embrace that he came to die for your sins. Jesus tells the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, referring to the Son of Man, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe in me, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you will die in your sins. See, they had to believe in the sense that they recognized that Jesus was was the solution for their sin problem. And that's what believing, true believing in Jesus entails. But again, it also entails obedience. Obedience to what Jesus taught. It means walking in a discipleship relationship with Him. See, there were some people who began to believe in Jesus in His own day. But just to make things clear, Jesus tells them. He said to the Jews who had believed in him in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide, if you obey my word, then you are my disciples. So when John 3 says, whoever believes in Jesus... 
Don't think this simply means if you believe Jesus existed or that Jesus is somebody great. You have not believed in Jesus until you've embraced what he taught to be true, embraced him to be the Son of God, the Holy One of God. You haven't believed in Jesus until you have believed that he died for your sins. You haven't believed in Jesus until you walk in obedience to him. See, there are many people who take certain components of belief. I believe in Jesus. I go to church. I believe he died for me. But there's no discipleship there. Jesus says, if you abide in me, then you are my disciples, which is to say, if you're not abiding in me, then you are not my disciples. See, God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish. But it's your choice to believe in him. He loves you. He's offered salvation to you. But have you believed in him? See, in John 10, Jesus tells again the Pharisees, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Therefore, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My sheep know my voice. Those who believe in me know my voice and they follow me. And that's the relationship God is calling you to follow him. Because in that place, there is eternal life. There is forgiveness. There is joy in the Lord. But you know what blows me away is that John 3.16 is often looked at as a great passage of love in the Bible, which it is. But oftentimes we don't think of 3, 17, 18 through 21 to be one of the great passages of God's judgment in the Bible. See, because there are those who believe, but there are those also who reject. And Jesus is coming, is calling for a decision. See, verse 18, Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Referring to Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, we see God's love and God's condemn- condemnation linked together in a matter of verses here. And, and he goes on to clarify in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world to bring light. But the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Why? They don't come to light. Why? His works should be exposed. Verse 21, But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, Jesus calls us to a decision. Will you walk in the darkness, which is unbelief, which is not discipleship, which is not acknowledging Jesus' teaching to be true and following it? Or will you walk in the light? Say, no, God, I'm embracing your love. Jesus, you are God. You've died for me. I'm following you. And that's the decision that we're called to here. Because there is a path of eternal life and it is a path of perishing. And those are real paths that Christmas points to. Jesus came to call for a decision. Yes, God loves you. He came to put that on display. But he also called to say, what are you going to do about that? See, Jesus didn't come to give us a holiday. He didn't come to give us a holiday. He came to give us, to give us life. 
but will you believe in him in a John, in a, as a way John defines belief? Will you believe in Jesus? See, Jesus came to give salvation. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, Jesus' mission wasn't coming with a sword. He could have. God would have been justified if Jesus came with a sword. Because we rebel against God. But he came as a baby. He came in love. But by the byproduct of his coming also meant condemnation for those who reject him. And again, God's love and God's judgment are two sides of the same coin. In God's economy, you cannot have one without the other. And Jesus calls for a decision. And when we turn our lives to Jesus, when we believe that He is the Son of God, that He is our Savior, that is the most wonderful life to live. And this is why we call this a wonderful life in Christ. You may have heard the story this past week of this generous benefactor in Fargo, North Dakota. You hear about this? There's a guy who called up a local Kmart and he told the manager, I want to pay off the remaining debt that people have on their layaway items. I want to do that, especially uh, targeting those that are Christmas toys for children and things that are going to help families out. The, the, the manager said he had never had a phone call like this ever before, of course. So the manager began to tally up the amounts and it came up to about $2,000 that this anonymous benefactor paid off of people's debts to get these layaway items. And his manager called up each of these individuals to tell them that their debt had been paid for and they were able to bring home these gifts to, to pay for something at the time they couldn't pay for, to, to receive them. And these people were thrilled because of this generous benefactor. And I think about this illustration, that... That, that just, that drips with analogy here. Because there is a generous, an ultimate generous benefactor, if you will. And it is God. And we do carry debts. We do carry debts for something that we cannot attain. We want eternal life, but our debt is sin and it gives us death. And we cannot pay for that sin. We cannot. It's like God sent his son, making that phone call, if you will. He said, I'm going to pay the debt. It's not $2,000. That's chump change in God's economy. But it's eternal, it's eternal separation. That's the, that's the debt. But my son will bear that for you. My son will pay that debt. And it's not targeted to specific kinds of debts. It's targeted to sin. It's not specifically for young children. No, it's whosoever will. See, God has given us this gift of His Son. I will pay your debt for you. You got to believe in me. And when you do believe in me, you will know what it is to have a wonderful life in Christ. Not a life free of trials. That's never promised. Not a life free of struggle. Not a life free of financial difficulty. That's not promised. But what is promised is to be a recipient of God's love. God says, come to me. I love you. You want to be loved today? God, the creator of the universe, says, I love you. What's the wonderful life in Christ? That this life right now is not it. 
He gives us peace in these days. He brings us through the storms. Sometimes He calms the storms. He's with us. But we know this is not it. There's going to come a day where we are with God in eternity, worshiping Him. And that eternal life has begun now for those who trusted in Him. It's a wonderful life in Christ. We also stand in peace with God. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but those who reject Him are condemned. But on the other side, He came to bring salvation, which means no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He came to bring us peace in Him. So you can lay your head in bed at night. Say, I belong to God. I'm at peace with the God of this universe. I fall short all times, but God, your love is sufficient. You've paid my debt. I love how John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Perhaps the most wonderful thing about the life in Christ is that God has adopted us into his family. That's why he calls us sons and daughters. Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to save those who were under the law, so that we might cry out by the Spirit, Abba, Father. We've been adopted into God's family. This is the wonderful life God offers us in Christ. So the Father sent Jesus into the world to put his love on display. And Jesus called for a decision. Will you believe in me and walk in light? Or will you reject me and walk in darkness? Because if you receive me, you will experience the, the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. To know that you are loved by God, that you belong to him, that you are his daughter or you are his son. And that your eternity is secured in him. Praise God. For Jesus is coming. But I'd be, a, I'd be wrong to not take this to the next step. See, just as the Father sent Jesus into the world, Jesus has sent us. John 17, 78, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you after his resurrection. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What is he sending us for? To declare that God's love has been put on display in Jesus. He sent us out to tell people that Jesus is calling you to believe in him. And that you can have a wonderful life in Christ, forgiven of your sin and walking in his light. He's put, he set us out as his messengers. Would you tell somebody that today? That God loves them? Tell them why Jesus came? What Christmas is about? Oh, what a privilege we have to be sent by Jesus as the Father sent Jesus. The Father sent Jesus to accomplish our salvation and Jesus sent us to declare it. Praise the Lord. I want to close with this poem here that kind of pulls together John chapter 3. And the message of Jesus is coming. Glory to God. Because we celebrate more than just a baby. But a baby who is God. A God baby. God became a baby. God always planned to become a man to save me. So we say joy to the world. The Lord has come. Oh come, let us adore him. 
Oh, come, come all ye faithful, come and celebrate the one who comes and gives speech to the dumb, feeling to the numb, hope where there's none, joy when it's done, life from now to kingdom come. Where else can we run for unconditional love? He was born in a manger. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor, lived as a teenager. And as a man, he had convictions from which he wouldn't waver. But he was betrayed by his betrayer. And all the haters filled with anger put his life in danger. And he would hang on the cross as a savior. Was then buried in a tomb like a treasure. And after three days, he would raise from the grave to our pleasure. Now offers eternal hope without measure. And a relationship with him that will never, ever sever. Died on my behalf. Took away my sin and shame. I can live life anew when I call on his name, saying, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. Christmas starts it all. Good Friday bought it all. Easter conquered it all. And it's for you and me to declare it all. Let's pray. Father God, we give you glory today. Oh Lord, we can only begin to slightly understand the magnitude of Jesus' coming. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, you put this world into existence. There's nothing in existence today that you didn't bring forth. And yet, Jesus, you became a man for us. You humbled yourself. But not just in becoming a man, but you humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So today, we exalt you. Because you do have the name that is above all names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus, we confess that today. Oh, we thank you for your great love. Oh, Lord, would we place our trust in you if we haven't? Will we worship you because of this? Will we know the wonderful life that there is in Christ, being bold proclaimers of the gospel? Oh, how we love you. And we know we love because you first loved us. Thank you. In Jesus Christ, I pray this in your name. Amen.